Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Waking Up to Autism podcast. I am your host, Claire Crost, um, and I am the founder of Waking Up to Autism. And if you are no stranger to the Waking Up to Autism podcast, you will know that usually I am joined by a guest. Um, however, I am kicking off season two of our podcast episodes um, flying solo. And I am recording this episode to introduce a little bit about who I am and the story behind Waking Up to Autism. I am extremely proud of the journey that we've been on. Um, and I feel like it is just something that would be worthwhile sharing um and so I hope you enjoy wherever you are listening to this podcast I hope that you're able to relax um and to just really dive in um, and join me on this episode so as I say my name is Claire hi and welcome um it's a real funny one actually because obviously when I have a guest and there's two people talking and you're just sitting having a cup of tea and a chat um it it flows and it really is great to make those connections and the guests that I have on I specifically choose guests that just bring a huge amount of inspiration lots of experience um and primarily the podcast is cre created to provide a space for autistic voices um but like I've just said, this episode is to dive a little bit into our story um, and how Waking Up to Autism actually came to life. Um, and so to probably, yeah, to really truly understand that, I need to take you back. We need to get into our time machine and whiz back quite a few years now. I'm trying to think as I'm speaking how many it's been. We need to whiz back to when my daughter was four. She is currently 12. So nine years ago now, my goodness, nine years ago, our journey started. And it, it was a journey that really wasn't expected um, and came completely out of the blue. And it was actually the reason behind the journey starting and how dramatic that was really, really did pay into why Waking Up to Autism was even thought of and born. So when Olivia, my daughter, was four, she just started um, at mainstream primary and in reception. And it was the October, late October, early November. And we had been invited along for the very first parents' evening. Now, obviously, bearing in mind, as we all know, school starts at the beginning of September. She'd barely been there, I think about six or seven weeks at this point. And so my husband, Dan, and I went along to um, the parents' evening, very excited because Olivia is our eldest. So this was the first time we'd ever been to a parents' evening. So obviously feeling very grown up. So along we toddled. And we really just expected to hear about how she'd kind of settled in um, and how things were, were sort of just getting on from that point of view. Because let's face it, she was four and she'd barely even started. How much could they possibly tell us? 
Well, my goodness. Um, yes, they told us quite a lot. So we we went along and Olivia had transitioned actually quite well from nursery to um, reception. You know, you you always have that sort of trepidation of starting a new school and it being quite a, an anxious time for children. And, you know, we've been privy to dropping her off at school and seeing other children, you know, clinging to their their mum or dad and getting all upset and, and you know, struggling a little bit with that um, process. But Olivia, we'd always joked, actually, that Livy was what we would class as sort of being in Livy land. You know, she was a little bit away with the fairies. You know, she twirled a lot. She skipped a lot. She was very much in her own little little world, really. And she just kind of got on with it. She was very much like that. Um, and so we were chatting to her teacher and her teacher was saying about what a lovely little girl she is and you know she'd been she'd handled it it well and then the conversation turned quite suddenly and it was it, like I say it was a huge huge curveball and I think it was because it was so unprepared not seen didn't see it coming the impact of it was was probably greater than it needed to be but the conversation suddenly as I say took a bit of a turn and her teacher who was a lovely lovely teacher with many many years experience in reception you know she was like the classic amazing sort of reception type teacher um but had had an awful lot of children pass through her classroom over the last sort of 20 odd years and I could tell that she was starting this line of conversation with trepidation, that there was a bit of anxiety within her, I think, obviously, about how we were going to react and take what was going to come next. And she started to talk about how she had noticed some, some specific sort of characteristics and behaviours within Olivia that had made her feel like it was worth referring Olivia to be assessed and the word autism was not mentioned at all at this point and it was it was like it was like being slapped a little bit in the like I've, I've said already because it literally came from our point of view from nowhere and I remember looking at her and I was looking at her intently and there was this sort of anxiety behind her eyes <clears throat> excuse me um because she, I think she is just such a lovely lady. And I think there was a huge amount of worry on her part that what she was saying was going to be met with upset. Um, and it was actually me that, you know, after a few minutes and her talking about Olivia's sort of like behaving the way that she was presenting, I randomly sort of said, are you sort of talking about autism? I mean, are you sort of suggesting she might be autistic? And she made a really big point of saying that she was definitely not in the position to be diagnosing or labelling anybody. But yes, that is what her concern was. And I, I am not a crier as a general rule. I don't cry often and I certainly don't cry in public. I never have done. But at that moment, I just could not stop myself I just welled up and started to cry and obviously that just <laughs> cemented the teacher's um fear of of her words it's going to cause upset but the thing was for me I wasn't upset at the thought that my child was autistic I was upset 
because as her mother, I was absolutely mortified that I didn't know. I was absolutely mortified that a woman who had known my child six, seven weeks knew this about her and I didn't. And in that moment, I felt like I had utterly failed her. Um, and just so ashamed that I hadn't noticed it or seen it. Um, and that stayed with me for a long, long time. The guilt stayed with me for a long, long time. Um, you know, because the truth of the matter is, is I was sat there as somebody who had extremely little knowledge about autism. As far as I was aware, up until that point, I'd never met anybody autistic. I'd never studied it, researched it, really had any clue what it was. I had a preconceived idea, as so many members of society do. But I didn't actually know anything about it. So was it a reasonable expectation for me to have identified it within my daughter? No. But at that moment, that didn't matter. At that moment, I was her mum and that trumped it. That I should have just known, like, instinctively, um, you know. And that's why I said at the beginning of this podcast that had I not been made aware or had it had that conversation not happened, had that moment not happened, as in the whole smacked me between, you know, between the eyes, reduced me to tears, moment not happened then waking up to autism may not exist and may not exist in the way that it does today because it absolutely ignited within me this absolute need and determination to research to study and to educate myself because I was I you know I was god damned was I going to be in a position ever again where I was not the expert on my child um and that is where it started that is where, and again, little did we know when we walked into that parents' evening, little did we know what would be happening in that 10-minute slot for when we walked back out again. And we started a four-year journey to get Olivia diagnosed. And to be honest with you, over the course of that four years getting her diagnosed, that is when my guilt of not realising that she was autistic did shift because the truth of the matter was, is that it took four years to get Olivia diagnosed because even the paediatricians at the Child Development Centre struggled to identify it within Olivia because she presents in a classic female presentation, which obviously over the years I've become much more um, clued up on. Um, and it's, 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 it's amazing really, isn't it? Because when I look at Olivia now, like it is so damn obvious it's, it's like it's like you know screaming your face obvious that she is autistic um and what was really really interesting is that when i started researching about autism because we started this journey with olivia it then dawned on me that my older brother was autistic as well and again, it's one of those when you're like, how have we not, how's nobody realised this? I mean, it is, it's just, it's plain as day. And it was a real, it's been a real life-changing 
journey for so many people and going through the process of getting a diagnosis has just opened my eyes up to how much neurodivergent people are discriminated against how they are not held with the respect that they deserve to be properly assessed and to be properly diagnosed and supported moving forward it is um it's just it's just criminal and so subsequently my brother then got assessed and subsequently diagnosed as autistic and then my son also got assessed and diagnosed as autistic and so that is where partly the name waking up to autism comes from so if you ever looked at my um, business name and wondered why I call it waking up to autism there's two very very specific reasons one I basically want society to wake up to what autism is there is such a huge gap in knowledge and awareness it is terrifying and it really has to change because um neurodivergent people are daily suffering from the incompetence and ignorance of others around them who don't fully understand their uniqueness the fact that okay um maybe some things are communicated in a different way maybe some things are navigated in a different way but they're definitely not done in a wrong way and that actually by just some knowledge, some awareness, and most importantly, respect, neurodivergent people have no reason why they cannot live a life without limits. But unfortunately, they do because of of the, the way society is currently. So waking up to autism, I just want everyone to take their bloody blinkers off, um, to educate themselves properly, get rid of the misconceptions that have been um, thrown about over the years you know where everybody kind of hears the word autism and instantly thinks of Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man um, and really starts rewriting the script on that so that's the first part of where the the name comes from the second part is the personal one in the fact that I as far as I knew or as far as I was aware I didn't know anybody autistic and then within the space of 12 months both my children and my older brother were diagnosed as autistic. And so I feel, you kind of feel like, um, I don't know, I mean, I'm 38, right? Part of me sometimes thinks, what happened? Like one minute I was 18, I've gone to bed without, you know, the only thing I need to worry about is where I'm going to go Friday and Saturday night, you know, no worries whatsoever. And I feel like I've kind of gone to bed one night and woken up and I'm 38, two children, a marriage and a mortgage. And you kind of think, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> and that's kind of the same sort of feeling I got um, in that year when obviously both my children and my brother were diagnosed. I felt like I went to bed one night not knowing anybody autistic and woke up to three of my closest relatives <laughs> all being diagnosed. And so that's where the name comes from. And I started waking up to autism after just wanting to start it for about 18 months but being too scared to um I suffer terribly with imposter syndrome and my inner critic absolutely rages constantly um all of the time about how I'm not good enough and who are you to say anything to anybody and no one's gonna like you all of these really negative shitty self-sabotaging you know, narrative that goes through my head. And so I sat on the idea of launching Waking Up to Autism for a year and a half until I plucked up the courage. And I don't really know 
what the turning point was, what took me from sitting on it as an idea to actually launching it. But I really did start to do a little bit of um, kind of creating some space and some time for self-development and looking looking at the bigger picture, really, um, and just trying to come to peace with the fact that, you know, not everyone's going to like you and that's okay and that you're not there to be liked by everybody. You're just there to be liked by the right people. The people that need you will find you, that you know, that's the way the world works. And I kind of launched Waking Up to Autism in a very tentative way, not expecting anything at all. And I launched it purely for two reasons, actually. One was I wanted to help others. Um, Being a parent myself, obviously, of two autistic children, I know firsthand the stress and the overwhelm and the incredible challenges that we face when we have children with additional needs, going through the education system, trying to get them help and support, advocating for them, trying to get them assessed and diagnosed appropriately, um, having battle after battle with you know certain services that are just really not functioning as they should. And it just impacts on everything and it has and it can have such an effect on your mental and emotional well-being and so I just wanted to try and help at least one parent so that they didn't go through it alone and so that they didn't have to go through it to the extent that I did can we try and make it easier can we try and eliminate some of these stresses and worries by giving them guidance and help and support and the second reason for launching it as well is, is like I've just touched on, when you're going through it yourself, it can be so, so isolating and overwhelming. Um, you know, you're the parent with the children that don't get invited to the parties. You're the parent of the children who are really struggling to, to make friends. And so, you know, the parents of the other children in the playground may not be overly welcoming. And, and you can just find yourself living a very solitude life. Um and that's really difficult. And so by launching Waking Up to Autism, I am notoriously quite a private person. That has changed a little bit since I launched Waking Up to Autism. Because it's had to, I've had to push past those kind of um, fears of vulnerability and be seen and to be heard because I have to be. Um, otherwise, there is no, there's no Waking Up to Autism if I don't. So I'm a lot more at peace with that. But I wanted to start it to try and push myself to talk about it and to express how I was feeling and, you know, share when I wasn't coping as an outlet, you know, as a therapeutic um, kind of space for me. And that was my intention, you know, and I very much saw it that it probably wouldn't really gain too much. Um but that wasn't my intention. So it, that was okay. It was as if I kind of released that pressure. And so I launched Waking Up to Autism. I did a very strange kind of off the cuff live video in my car. Um, just You just had to start. Do you know what I mean? You could sit for hours and days and months and years thinking about what, how would be the best strategic way and, and what would be the most aesthetically pleasing way or whatever it might be. You could 
um and ah until the cows come home. You've just got to bloody do it. You've just got to pull that plaster off. And it probably will be a bit cringe and it probably won't be the best, but you've got to start somewhere. And once you've started somewhere, you've then got something to build upon. You've then got something to work with. You've then got something to, you know, compare and to reflect upon. But very, very quickly after launching Waking Up to Autism, it became so apparent that I wasn't alone. Um, it wasn't just me struggling with certain things. It wasn't just me that was finding things tricky and needing some help and some support. There's thousands of us, like, just everywhere. And more and more people, you know, were joining the Waking Up to Autism Facebook page. It was growing. The interaction that we were having was just so incredible. And as somebody that obviously suffers really badly with, you know, imposter syndrome and inner critic, that was brilliant because the more people that showed up into the space and were loving it and were verbalizing to me that they were enjoying it and that they were getting so much out of it, that was my evidence and my proof to my inner critic. So when my inner critic pipes up, which it does sometimes, believe me, what I do now is I read back over messages and reviews and feedback that I've been given from the incredible parents and carers that I've worked with who literally could not write anything better or more you know just so grateful for these wonderful words that they're talking about me and also waking up to autism's work and how it's impacted for the good in their lives so when my inner critic pipes up and it does I read those and I'm like, yeah, take that, put that in your bloody pipe and smoke it. You are not going to convince me that I shouldn't be doing this. You can't convince me that no one will listen because look, people are. You can't convince me that people think I'm shit because look, they don't, you know, and that has inspired me and propelled me forward. And so it's grown considerably and which is such a blessing. It's such a blessing. And what started off as this tentative idea is now a fully fledged business. And we've literally gone from this idea at my dining table, and I sat and worked waking up to autism from my dining table, which is a lounge diner. So I haven't even got a dining room that I can close the door on. It's like open plan. Uh, and for two years, or not quite two years, 18 months, all over lockdown, with children not being at school, I lost my job in lockdown. I worked for the NHS and it was a really, really challenging time because obviously March 2020, when the world literally closed, I was working for the NHS. I'd worked for the NHS for 16 years. Um, I was good at my job. I liked my job. I worked with nice people. I had no intention to leave my job. Um, but when obviously the world closed and the schools closed, I was classed as a key worker. Um, and so theoretically, as far as my employer was concerned, my children were still allowed to access school. However, my children, as I've already said, and as a lot of you know, are both autistic. And when the schools had to close, but only remain open for key workers, they obviously had to do the best that they could in the circumstances that they found themselves in. And so, you know, school didn't look like 
it would usually, you know, bubbles were created. So you're in a different classroom that, with a different teacher, with different children. It was all change. And obviously with both my children being autistic, I mean, Christ, if we drive a different way to their grandmother's house, they get funny about it. You know, they don't like things being changed. And this was just too much. And I found myself in a really tricky position because I had an employer that insisted that I came to work, even though I'd requested to work from home. And that could have been arranged, but it was declined. And that's a that's a separate issue. That's not really for this, this space here. Um, but it was declined. That's the point. I was expected to go into the office. Um, so I was met with that. And in between that and having two children who were so anxious about going to school with all of the changes that they found it impossible. And when my children are overwhelmed and struggling with change, they self-harm. Um, you know, this is no joke. This is serious. This is not something that we can just say, now, come on, stop being silly. You'll be fine. Off you go. You know, when that, this is a completely, completely different situation. And so I had a choice of keep my job, you know, or prevent my children from self-harming. And of course, there was no choice. There was no debate. And I had to quit my job. And so I found myself at the beginning of a pandemic when none of us knew what the hell was going on or how long it would last or what was going to happen to us all and jobless, completely jobless, income gone and two children at home to educate as well. And so, as I said, I sat on the idea of waking up to autism for a long, long time. And I thought, right, we've got nothing to lose. Let's see. Let's see what we can do with this. You know, I started to sort of drum up a little bit of interest with waking up to autism. And then I thought, right, how can I do this and provide the support that so many parents and carers are so desperate for, but still keep the mortgage man happy? You know, I need to be earning something from it so that we can survive. So that, like I say, I keep a roof over our head and food on the table. That was that was our only goal. You know, ever since I started waking up to waking up to autism and started it from the mindset of it being a business because originally when I started it, it was just a support network idea. Since I thought, right, let's see if we can actually income generate so that we can do this, so that we can do it really properly, because people need it. This is a service and something that people are desperate for. And it's something that I do that brings me so much joy. If I can dedicate all of my working hours to it and get income enough to survive then how amazing would that be and so that was our goal and we started launching training sessions and courses for parents and carers of autistic children um which was a huge jump a huge jump from let's start this facebook group and see if anybody's interested in supporting each other to let's write a course um but we did it you know, and I think this really kind of does stem to the point where if you've got enough passion for something and you've got enough drive and enough determination and, and you've you've got a big enough why, you know, people talk about it all the time in the sort of the self-development world. You know, you have to tap into why. Why are you doing this? You know, and your why needs to be big enough so that when the wobbles come or the self-doubt comes, you can always tap back into your why and that keeps you back on track. 
because your why is bigger than anything and trumps anything else and any other thoughts or feelings or emotions that might crop up. And when we launched the first Shine a Light course, Shine a Light course came about because I felt so, so angry that when Olivia was diagnosed as autistic, I thought, oh, good, hopefully we're going to get some support and some guidance and some help. And we got nothing. And it's the general rule. When your child gets diagnosed as autistic, you get discharged in the same letter. You know, it literally is your child's autistic. Bye bye. You know, four years it took us to get to that point. And then you are literally dumped. And so what we find is so many parents are fumbling about in the dark thinking, well, now what? You know, you've just told me my child's autistic and I've now got to figure everything out alone. And it's a very dark, very overwhelming place to find yourselves in. And so the seven week Shine a Light course was designed basically to scoop parents up from that bloody awful dark place, fumbling about, not knowing what the hell they're doing and feeling so scared and anxious um, and to provide really great content to increase their awareness and their knowledge about what having an autistic child actually means um, and how they can be the best parents and advocates for them and it was incredible it was absolutely incredible when I look back actually on that very first one I didn't enjoy it much and if anyone's listening to this who was on the first shine a light course with me (laughs) please do not take offense the people on it were incredible and I loved love love loved um, providing a space and being in that space with them But I didn't enjoy it because I was so anxious. I was so worried. I felt so my imposter syndrome, the inner critic was having an absolute flipping field day with me. Um, And there was a lot of pressure and a lot of stress about creating it. But we actually ran the Shine a Light course over the um, following year, year and a half, uh, four times. And each time I did it, I enjoyed it more and more. I was getting more into it and it was more kind of um came much more naturally I'd already written it the course content was there so each time that made it that little bit easier and again it goes back to having that proof and that evidence to your inner critics that people do like this because it's the fourth time we've done it and I can show you the testimonials that I've had from previous um, people that have been on it so that's a real kind of little life lesson the first time is always the hardest you know, and that's regardless of what it is that you're doing in life, the first thing is always going to be the hardest, but you have to do it for the first time to to move through that for it to then become easier. And yeah, it's been the most incredible experience to be able to provide that space for people. And what I definitely noticed over each of the four times that I ran the seven-week course is how the magic is doing it as a collective. It's bringing parents together. It's creating a safe and judgment-free place for people to be seen and to be heard and to be validated, which for a lot of these parents and carers is the first time they've ever had that. If they're living in a world where they don't know any other parents of autistic children, if they're up against um, maybe family members who are maybe a little bit old school in their thinking and they're questioning them and they're doubting the fact that their child is autistic or they're battling with schools or they're just feeling like they're just bloody alone it actually can sometimes be the first time they've been in a space where they're like oh my god you all 
get it. You are me. I am you. We are on the same journey. We're at different parts of the journey, 100%. We'll have people like myself who are like nine, 10 years into their journey. And we'll have some people that are like in week one. But we are all on the same path. And what's amazing about it is when we bring parents and carers together, we are all at different parts of the, the, the journey. And we can all help each other as, as a, as a um, response to that. Because there's always going to be somebody a little bit further behind you. There's always going to be somebody a little bit further ahead of you. And it's about leaning in to those that are ahead of you and gaining their support and guidance from them. And then it's leaning back to those that are a bit behind you on that journey and providing them with that guidance and support. There's something really, really empowering about being able to share knowledge and about being able to impart some support on other people. Not only does that obviously benefit them and uplift them, but it does to you as well. It's a real blessing to be able to be in a position to do that. And that's the magic that comes with waking up to autism. It is creating that community. And I absolutely pride myself on creating that space. It's a non-negotiable. You know, it is a non-negotiable that everyone in that space has a right to be there. Everyone in that space has a right to be heard and to be seen. Everyone in that space deserves to be respected and that is the general thread that connects everybody and it's felt and it's what people say time and time again in their testimonials is how they have been looking for that type of environment and space and have not been able to find it um before so i'm incredibly proud of that um and so yeah the shine and light course was was incredible but what was also what we also love to do and what I'm really passionate about is the holistic side of things as well, because, you know, my children being autistic, they're not just autistic at home with me. You know, this isn't just about educating myself as a parent and supporting my children as a parent. My children go to school. My children go out into the world and into society. And so waking up to autism, I'm very passionate about it being holistic. And we have to create awareness and promote acceptance across the board. And so the next stage that we did was to create um, training for schools. Um, for anybody listening here who has a child in mainstream education, especially if they've got um, SEN and they're autistic, you may very well be sitting there completely relating to what I'm about to say in the fact that currently the mainstream education system is not fit for purpose. Um, now, that is not a reflection of the staff. I really want to get that in there. Absolutely. There are some absolutely shit teachers out there. Trust me, I've met a couple. There are people that shouldn't be teachers, just like there's probably people that shouldn't be doctors, shouldn't be carers, shouldn't be supermarket workers. You get bad people in all um, professions, okay? However, the majority of the time, we have got an education system that is absolutely crammed full of incredible teachers and teaching staff. They are amazing people who genuinely care about our children and want to do well and want to help support them. But they are as much a victim of the system as our children are. And they are, they are having to try and provide education when there is such inflexibility, low staff um, levels, low budgets, um, it really is such a tricky situation. And it's the same within the NHS. You know, I worked in the NHS for 16 years and 
I've seen firsthand how it's crammed full of incredible staff, doctors, nurses, carers, admin staff, who are all battling every single day to provide a service to their patients, clients, obviously, or pupils, whatever the public sector is you're talking about. And yeah, not being backed up by the powers that be and not being supported appropriately. It's a real dire situation. But what's really surprised me, actually, over the years, is realising how little education staff know about embracing neurodivergent pupils. I, before, obviously, I went on to this journey and having um, autistic children myself, I assumed that teachers knew how to support children with SEN and that they knew what SEN meant. They don't. I thought that teachers had some sort of autism awareness training. I was like, they must do. That must be like a legal requirement. They don't, and it's not. Um, too many educators just do not have the basic knowledge of what it means to be neurodivergent, and they do not have, know how to embrace neurodivergent students into the classroom. And so we wanted to try and do something about that. We want to support teachers and education staff. We want to help. We don't want to be sitting here slagging anybody off that's not going to help anybody and like I've already said it's not the the person's fault it's the system's fault but there's no point sitting and moaning about it oh this should be better or they should do that right well what could be better and how can they do that let's help let's support them and so we created a CPD accredited training session how to embrace neurodivergent students into the mainstream classroom and we've rolled that out to a few schools already. The problem we have is that schools do not have a legal requirement to engage with SEND training or autism awareness training. There's no legal requirement to do that. Obviously, it will come as no shock or surprise to you that I think that is completely and utterly ridiculous and needs to change. Um, but yet yeah, the schools that engage with training with me are schools that just are forward thinking, innovative and truly wanting to be inclusive. Um, I have come across a lot of schools, not a lot, but a few schools that will claim that they want to be inclusive, but actions speak louder than words. Let's just put it that way. Um, and so the schools that have engaged with me really take being inclusive seriously. They can really see the issues that they're facing day to day with regards to embracing autistic students, the ripple effect that that has on a school when things are not going right, and how engaging with training and making that financial investment to have their whole school trained as part of one of our um, CPD courses is worth every single penny. Because after you've been on a two and a half hour waking up to autism training course, you will not look at neurodivergent students in the same way again. And you will instantly start putting a new mindset into practice and new actual tangible changes into the classroom and into the school environment to make it more inclusive from day one. So the feedback that we've had from the uh, teaching staff that have already been on our courses is just phenomenal. You know, words like best training we've ever had, ever, about anything, you know, that we're actually something we can actually 
is going to affect our day-to-day practice and it's going to impact the lives of the children we work with. I mean, powerful, powerful stuff, which is amazing. And so, and again, I just feel incredibly blessed that I get to do this as a job. Um, Our next port of call is to try and educate the workplace. You know, so we've done the home, done the schools, and now we want to go into the workplace and make the employment sector a lot more inclusive when it comes to neurodivergent um, candidates and employees, because there's a massive, massive gap. Currently, shockingly, only 16, 16% of autistic adults are in full-time paid employment. And although that is so sad for neurodivergent adults who aren't able to secure, you know, employment, I tell you what, guys, if you're sitting there as a business owner listening to this, and you don't actively try to recruit neurodivergent candidates, my God, you're missing out. Like the untapped market of potential that that group holds, honest to God, it is just insane. And just some small tweaks and changes to your recruitment process and the way in which you just navigate staff on a day-to-day basis and how you embrace them and approach the way in which you employ my god you know your business is is missing out absolutely so that's our next step but i'm just really loving the way that waking up to autism is evolving um i look back over the last couple of years since i tentatively put it out there into the world and it always comes back to for me is the people is the people that I have had the joy of working with and helping and supporting the families that have changed and grown and progressed. Um, you know, I, I work with people who I first came across when I launched Waking Up to Autism and they're still actively engaged with me today. You know, it's just, a wonderful, wonderful journey to be on. And it really gives me hope that moving forward, we can really continue to make differences in the world. You know, that's the whole purpose of this. Um, You know, we have a vision, you know, we are a business. And as a business, it's really good to have a vision and to know what it is that we're actually striving for. You know, it comes back to the why. Why do you do this, Claire? Why do you get up every single day and work tirelessly you know, often in solitude, trying to plug away, to talk to people, to get your message out there. Why do you do it? And it's really quite simple when I actually sit and and drill down into it. And that's our vision. And our vision at Waking Up to Autism is to create a world where autism is not only understood, but embraced throughout society. And where neurodivergent people can live a life without limits. That's what we're trying to achieve. And that's why we do what we do. So that's a little bit about our story. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed listening to it. Thank you so much if you are still listening. If if I've kept your attention for this long, you've done very, very well. Um, And it's just a joy. And if it is something that you're thinking, do you know what? I'm really needing some help and support. And I really feel that actually to be part of the Waking Up to Autism community is is a place where I'm going to really get a lot of value and I'm going to make real great strides in the right direction um, and not have to do it alone and get that support as well for yourself. Because 
we need to value and prioritize our own mental health and emotional well-being through all of this because I say it time and time again, but I say it time and time again because it's so bloody true. How we show up as parents and carers 100% matters because it will have a direct impact on how our children respond. You know, if we're showing up day in, day out, stressed, harassed, overwhelmed, anxious, that is going to ripple out and hit your child so hard and affect how they are and how they engage. Um, if we can show up in a calm measured you know confident assertive way the same will happen that ripple effect will ripple out and that will just have a real positive effect on your child your relationship and your ability to support and advocate for them so the waking up to autism hub is something that we launched in june um, so it's really brand new, but already such an incredible resource for so many members that have already um, dived in and signed up. Um, there's plenty of room for everybody and it is an incredible space. So the Waking Up to Autism Hub, there's two main parts to it. You have the online portal, which has all the masterclasses from the Shine and Light course that I mentioned earlier, plus more. There's bonus workshops in there as well. And I do add masterclasses um, regularly. So it's forever evolving and growing. Um, I've just uploaded a masterclass all about self-harm, which is a hard-hitting masterclass, but a really important one to be listening to. Um, and this month in July, I will be uploading a masterclass specifically about puberty um, in autistic children as well and how best to navigate. So that one is much anticipated by quite a few of the members who have pre-teens um, and they're very much wanting to, you know, dive into that masterclass. So that will be coming very, very soon. Um, alongside the online portal is the private Waking Up to Autism Hub Facebook group. So you get 24-7 support from the other members. Um, the community vibe is high, it's positive, but you are absolutely held and validated when things aren't going right. You need a place to voice any upset, stresses, worries, and you will be flooded with support, compassion, guidance and help from myself and the other members. It's definitely a team effort completely. And what's really, really great about the um, Facebook group is that I do go live once a week to answer your questions and queries and any conversation topics that you want to have. And yeah, that at the moment, I think is probably the top spot number one of what people are loving in the hub at the moment, because they know that if there's anything that crops up, whether it's something about school, about applying for an EHCP or an assessment or something that their child is doing or something's happened in their world and they're desperately needing to talk about it or gain some answers and some help and advice, they know once a week, every single week, they have somebody that they can ask. And to them, they've all echoed the same thing, that it's absolutely priceless. So if you're sitting there listening to this and you're thinking, my God, I really need to want to, you know, I really need to and want to engage with that kind of support network, then make sure you head over to our website, which is wakinguptoautism.com. There is a tab specifically designated to the hub on there, you can read all about what I've literally just um, waffled on about, about what's included. Um, and what's amazing about the hub is it's so flexible and accessible. It's £29 a month subscription. You can cancel any time. So it's zero commitment. There's no you know, contracts or anything stupid like that. Um, you could literally come for a month, binge watch all of the masterclasses, like a series of Netflix, if you do so wish, and then cancel. But 
what we're finding is, is people are absolutely loving the space um, and especially the weekly check-ins and they're, they're hanging around, which is incredible. And we're loving that. But what I'm saying is, is the choice is yours. That control lies firmly with you. So yeah, just head over to our website, wakinguptoautism.com, click on the hub and you can sign up via there as well as find out more information. But it's been amazing. I'm actually sitting here feeling so reflective. It's been lovely chatting about our story and our journey actually, because you can get sometimes so wrapped up about, you know, keep moving forward, don't stop, onto the next thing, grow, 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 that we don't often just take a moment to sit and think back to where we were this time last year or this time two years ago and look at the the journey and the growth that we've been on. And you actually think, well, do you know what? You know, there's a lot to be proud of. And I'm sure that if you took a moment to do that for yourself as well, that you would be surprised at your journey. So thanks so much for listening, guys. I really cannot wait to bring some more podcast episodes to you very, very soon. I'm in the process of getting some really wonderful neurodivergent guests up um, for you. Um, and it would be great to have somebody to chat to. Um, but in the meantime, always connect via our Facebook group or via our website and speak soon. Take care. Bye.